This is the Teacher Mindset Coach Podcast, episode number 36. Hey, teachers, welcome to the podcast where we do the hard work to uplevel ourselves and have fun along the way. I'm your host, Ashley Wolf, and I'm here to help you rock your world with mindset stories, strategies, and skills that you've probably never been taught before. Let's do the damn thing. It has been two solid weeks from school since the end of school already for me. I know for some of you it's been less than that. And I'm finally getting to the point where I'm deep into the slow life of my summer. Yes, I'm still working my vacation rental businesses. It's just really one business, but 10 rentals. I'm taking my son Miles to assorted summer camps and baseball clinics, and I'm making sure to keep putting out the information that I so love doing, like this podcast, to help teachers over the summer. Last week, I had a meeting with my superintendent of my school district, and um, it was super exciting. It was amazing because he was so open to hearing what I had to say about helping teachers understand how to manage their mind. And even though it doesn't sound, you know, super sexy, it's not a big corporation like the American Heart Association and their program that's been going for 10 years strong, but it was an opportunity for me to tell him what I truly think is part of the solution for problems that plague teachers, such as, you know, high turnover out of the career after just a few years, stress levels, and then the things that we don't really talk about, like beating the crap out of ourselves when students don't perform a certain way, just thinking that there's something wrong with us if the student data isn't showing, uh, you know, accelerated growth, or, or just not knowing how to deal with feelings of inadequacy or that there's just not something right or that we can't speak up and, you know, ask for more of what we want out of our careers. So he was so open to hearing what I had to say. And (laughs) it was really cool because when he said, well, okay, but how do we do this? How do we teach teachers how to help themselves by managing their minds and their thoughts and their emotions. I already had my, my proposed answers for him. And at this stage of the game, I'm willing to be a presenter once a week at the admin building, you know, kind of putting my basic level um, trainings for teachers and workshops for teachers on mind management, putting those, those on repeat through the school year and having as many people sign up for those to receive this information as people want. And I told him, you know, it would be almost as common as a six weeks preview. It would just be that normal that we offer this to teachers and staff for their own personal growth and development. So that's in the works. I've got another meeting scheduled tomorrow with some uh, members of the team who are kind of like the community support people. Um, And I think that it's really important for us to start focusing on nourishing the people who are the teachers and staff 
that show up for students every day because the payoff for nourishing these folks just as much as we nourish students is going to be immeasurable. So that's the update on that. So switching gears mentally for like this summer slowdown, I really want to offer that you start to see an opportunity for you to have a summer slowdown and like recognize when it happens for you, recognize that it is something that you can create for yourself. It may not be instant. Wouldn't that be ironic? Like the summer slowdown instantly happens. (laughs) And we would also want to beg the question, like, why does it have to be instant? Why do we want to, some of us might, some of us might not. It really is just an awareness about how you operate and if you would like to operate differently. Remember, everything that I present to you here is an option. It's all optional. Most of us are going to take bits and pieces from the things that we learn from other people and apply them how we want to our lives. And when we see a result that's desired or that we love, we will put that on repeat or we will find out more that is much the same. It's in alignment with who you are and alignment with what you want. So I found a really cool article. It was written mostly in the frame of students' stress at the end of a school year going into a summer, Um, but also it mentioned some things for teachers, and I think that this was really important. It's going to be for both students and teachers, but of course you guys know that my focus is on helping teachers. So the article, it was on edutopia.com. I will have a link in the show notes to it, and it's called Calming End of Your Stress, and it's written by Dr. Lori DeSottles. So one quote stuck out to me, and I'm going to take this quote as the guide for this episode today. So she says, quote, calming the brain's stress response is critical to positive emotion, clarity of thought, and emotional regulation. When we use breathing, or focused attention exercises to quiet the emotional center of our brains where fight, flight, and fear reside, we are activating neural circuits in the brain that strengthen the flow of oxygen and glucose through the prefrontal cortex. So basically, when we do breathing exercises, it's good for our brains. When our students do breathing exercises, it's good for their brains. We're getting out of that primitive fight or flight modality of our brain and into the prefrontal cortex. And it takes practice. It takes intention. And it takes scheduling these activities. One um, one guy calls it reps. It's the positive intelligence. Um, Shirzad, Dr. Um, Shirzad Alamine, no, Shirzad Charmin is his name. And um, he has his positive intelligence PQ program. And he teaches that these little activities that you do, he calls them reps. And I've gone through the, um, the free course, the free training. I'm not certified in the positive intelligence community, but the information was incredibly, incredibly supportive of what I believe in. So I'm going to 
teach you some of these focused attention exercises, because a lot of us are familiar with breathing, but I'm going to teach you just a few that I like to do for me so that you have some in your back pocket. You can use them for you and you can use them for students. Since we're kind of in the summer during this, the recording of this podcast, I highly recommend to for you to use them for yourselves or even practice with your children. So a focused attention exercise can be any number of things that where you're just, like she said in the article, calming the um, fight or flight response in the brain. I like to involve the five senses, and this is mirroring the um, positive intelligence training that I went through last year, where I'm hyper-focused on either my sense of touch, my sense of hearing, my sense of smell, or my sense of sight. In moments when I'm trying to calm my nervous system, I usually don't involve the sense of taste. So one of my most go-to technique is the finger ridges technique. I use this because you're, you're rubbing very gently and slightly and slowly the ends of your fingertips together. That can be both hands, kind of fingertips touching almost like in a, a prayer type of way. And you're just kind of moving your fingertips across each other so slowly and with such attention where you're thinking about the ends of your fingertips, that you can feel the fingertip ridges of your fingerprint. It's kind of cool. So doing this for about 30 seconds to a minute, even with eyes closed, can be a way to calm your brain. Now, the cool part about these exercises is it is just important, just as important to do these little exercises of focused attention during times of stress and during times of calm. So if you put in your calendar, for example, an alert to pop up on your phone that every morning at 10 a.m., you pause, take a few breaths, and do your finger ridges technique. And you can kind of say like, yeah, no matter what's going on, I'm going to drop everything and do my finger ridges technique. It might not always be that structured. Wouldn't that be kind of cool to train your brain to do this as a habit during times of normality, let's say, when there isn't really a lot of stress or there's just a medium level of stress. That'll also help your brain trigger your your response to do your focused attention exercises when you notice that your nervous system is at like peak performance, like at high stress level. Another focused attention exercise that I really, really like is closing my eyes and breathing normally, but focusing on the temperature of the air on my nostrils as I breathe in and as I breathe out. It's actually really, really interesting to me the coolness of the air as I breathe in, and then the warmth of the air as I breathe out. This is kind of like a sense of touch that also incorporates the breathing, but you don't have to breathe like extra deep or extra long. You literally can just breathe normally and focus your sense of touch onto the temperature of the air going in and out. That would be a cool one for students to do. So involving the sense of hearing, this is kind of an interesting idea. If you close your eyes 
and you focus in on the noise or the sounds that are closest to you. It could be your own breath. It could be you clicking a pen (laughs) in your hand. It could be you tapping your foot and just notice what it is, the sound that is the closest sound to you. And then try to focus on the sound that is farthest away from you. With eyes closed, try to hear a sound that is the farthest sound away from you that you can still hear. And then if this kind of exercise really helps you, you could try to find a sound that is in between those two distances, in between the closest and the farthest sound from you. That would be kind of cool. And think about the possibilities of doing this work with students. Doing the closest sound and the farthest sound could actually be turned into a writing exercise. They could create stories like a creative writing opportunity. They could create stories about what that farthest sound is and why it's happening. Just a random little idea. Same with the sense of sight. Looking at the object that is closest to you and then trying to look or scan the room or scan the area that you're in and try to find the object that is the farthest thing from you that you can still see. And then same with the sounds, trying to look at things that are in the middle of the closest and the farthest thing. And one thing that you can do with both the hearing and the sight, but in particular the sight, like when you notice something that is closest to you, focus in on all of the details, all of the tiny little details of that object and start describing it to yourself. Like, oh, I noticed that the microphone that's in front of me has like a crosshatch basket weave pattern over the actual, you know, recording device. It's black and silver. It's got a blue light on it that seems to be really, really bright and glowing. It's got a black cord that's winding and twisting around the base. And what that does is it just brings our brain into an awareness of something that's very much in the moment. And it's a calming technique. But I think it's going to be incredibly powerful for those of us who put this into practice as a, my life is just kind of normal right now. And I am going to focus on something like the temperature of air going in and out of my nostrils, just as a way of being habitually brought back to the experience in the moment. So one of the breathing techniques that I like to use, excuse me, especially during standardized testing, I love helping students learn this breathing technique. It's called the five in, five out. I'm sure many of you already know this. So I I challenge the students because they think that, you know, five is a small number, especially with breathing and, and counting. And they're like, oh, yeah, no worries. And they can, they can breathe in, but they do it so quickly that once I get to three and four, they're already like at capacity, at their lung capacity of their in-breath. And then when I tell them to let it out in a count of five, they're all out of air by two or three. So the point here is to practice slowly taking in a breath 
so that it's uh, sustained taking in breath through the count of five. So breathing in for one, two, three, four, five, and then out two, three, four, five. It's just part of training on how to be in control of our breath and not completely sucking in all the breath that we can in the first two seconds and then not completely letting the whole thing out in two seconds, but normalizing a little bit more and focus. It's another focused attention technique, getting our our brain and our body to kind of be in conjunction with one another, be a team. I'm going to say that I'm going to do an out breath for five seconds and I'm going to tell myself I'm going to do an in breath for five seconds. And this is how I practice doing it. And then the palm tracing breathing technique combines the sense of touch with breath work. So the way the, the palm trace goes is you put one hand palm up and fingers spread out and you put your other index finger kind of right in the center of your palm at the base where it connects to your wrist. You start tracing slowly your finger on your open palm, trace up and breathe in. And when you get to the tip of your finger, that's like the, the reaching the end of your in-breath and then start tracing. That would be your thumb and then trace down and let your breath out as you go up to the index finger. When you reach the tip, you've reached the top of your in-breath, and then let it out, trace down, go up to middle finger, and then on and on. You trace the, the insides of your fingers, and you just do controlled in and out breaths. And so what you'll notice is in the beginning, you're probably going to be very, very focused on your breathing. But then once you kind of get the hang of it, you'll actually feel the sensation on your finger as you trace your hand or on your hand as your fingers trace the inside of your palm and fingertips. It's very cool how the brain works that way. Another good one for standardized testing or scheduling in between your day, just make sure I would offer is to switch hands every once in a while. Because a lot of us who are right hand dominant, your right hand is going to be the one tracing as your left hand is kind of sitting there open. So I would encourage you to do the tracing with your non-dominant hand just as much as your dominant hand. So doing one or two of these reps when you notice a stressful moment or a time when you are worrying about something or someone who might be out of your control is especially helpful and can be a part of your habitual self-care. In my most popular podcast episode, Get Back to Sleep, um, this is one of the things that keeps me awake at night is like worrying about stuff. So it's not like my body is uncomfortable keeping me awake. It's my brain that's uncomfortable wanting to keep me awake because it's wanting me to worry about things as if worrying is important. Worrying itself is not very important because it doesn't get us anywhere. Taking action from a uh, supportive thought is going to be a really good way to be. But worrying about stuff in our imaginations, not really helpful. But oh boy, does worry want to be seen as like the most important thing. That's why we are very habituated into worrying because we think it's going to be helpful. So whenever I'm worrying about someone or something, doing one of these focused 
attention techniques can be a way for me to get back to my prefrontal cortex so that I can make sound decisions or remind myself of things such as this is out of my control. This is really a lot of this is in my imagination right now. I do a lot of reminding myself of that. I will think about things. And then when I catch myself worrying, I remind myself what's in my imagination and what is real. Because I like to tell myself like the worst thing that can happen is in my imagination. I will always imagine what's going to be way worse than what reality probably will be. So I just want to offer this final thing of this episode. I've been seeing a lot of Facebook posts and especially with the uh, like teacher groups that I'm in or teacher pages that I follow. It's like there's this magic thing that happens after two weeks. If I'm reading a lot of the comments, I see a lot of teachers say, yeah, it's been two weeks and I finally feel like I am beyond the stress of, of the end of the school year. Now, everybody has their own experience for sure. You do not have to think for a moment that it's going to take you two weeks. It could take you two days. For some people, they say it takes them two months. There's no rule. There's no rule book. There's no blackboard in the sky saying that it has to be any length of time before you de-stress and start enjoying your summer. Like, think about this. Have you ever gone on vacation like directly after ending a stressful time? I always think of my honeymoon. We honeymooned the day after our wedding. And after the whirlwind of that amazing party, (laughs) I was able to immediately calm down because I wasn't in that situation anymore of having to make decisions and think of all the details of, of getting married in my wedding. If teachers give themselves no timeline at all, just their own time to unwind and slow down, then it would, in my opinion, happen faster, like the enjoyment of the summer and letting go of this story of how hard the school year was would happen, (laughs) would happen faster. It's ironic. If we let go of the expectation, our relaxation and reconnecting with our less stressed selves would happen more naturally without judgment. That is the key. If a stressed out teacher is judging how long it's taking them to finally unwind after school lets out, there's a self-inflicted layer of stress added to the stress that is trying to find the exit door. So go to those focused exercise techniques, try them out, pick one that you like the most and put it in your calendar or put it as an alarm that'll go off at around the same time every day. And the more we do this as a normal part of our operating, or like our, our operating and getting back to our prefrontal cortex, the more it'll be available to us as just another self-love, self-care strategy during times of stress. So I hope no matter how long it's been already for you, I hope that you are finding a way to let go of things that need to be let go of and finding you again. I will talk to you guys next week. Have a great summer 
Bye-bye. If you got something out of today's show, I invite you to subscribe so you never miss a future episode. I'd also love to see you in the Teacher Mindset Coach Facebook group so we can nerd out on mindset work as a community of badass teachers. And remember, you can always email me at coachwithwolf, W-O-L-F-E, at gmail.com. Now go be awesome. See you next time.